Welcome to the Horror Supernatural Chop Shop. Chopping up the good, the bad, the insane movies, TV shows of the horror and supernatural genre. With games, trivia, facts, and more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Chop Shop, and welcome to our episode 26. Yes, 26 of season two. As always, I am Zach, Mr. Eyeliner, you know, the heart OG personality, also creator of the anti-bullying brand, Mr. Eyeliner, and proud owner of the glory, and it's getting even more bloodier, bloodier and splatter and chop shop. And um, honestly, it's getting crazy in the summer with this heat, the blood's dripping everywhere, but luckily, always joining me as always is my partner in running this crazy chop shop and helping me clean up the blood and guts everywhere and other crazy dead things in here, you know, and the horror loving living dead girl herself, the B movie fabulous. If you don't know, check out her damn Instagram, the psycho herself and co-host Al Sparky Sparks. Well, howdy Zach. How you been? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing really good. Getting tired of the mess you keep making, but doing yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, did you clean up that body the other day? Because I, I didn't find it back in the shop. Like, you, you took that body up? I put it somewhere. All right, good. I, I had to clean. I, that, 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 the thing we had tied up, it spit out a cat, a dead cat. I had to, like, clean out the mouth and everything. Like, oh, come on. You know? At least I didn't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to say again, it's still Pride Month, so happy Pride to everybody out there. Um, today, I like this weekend, I mean, I actually did a, a cool event. It was uh, another event by Heavy Heart NYC that always puts me on to them. And I met a great amount of new friends that are in the LGBT community, and they love horror. They actually are friends with us now on Instagram, L, And they are, like, going to be listening to our show constantly now because they actually were playing our show during the event I was doing, one of the friends was like, I was going to listen to your show at the bar. I'm like, okay. Wow. Well, hello to the new followers. Yeah, really amazing people. Um, again, in big in the world we live in now, please always, if you meet a new person, uh, politely ask them their pronouns. Because that is the proper way of introducing meeting new people in this world now. Okay? Yes, exactly. And Zach, what are your pronouns? I am it, he, and he he he. Okay. <laughs> Mine are she, her, and whatever. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. Just that's, she and her. That's it. I think this month, even if you're not part of the LGBTQ community, I think it's important just to really be yourself, embrace yourself, and accept everybody as they are. Don't don't expect them to be something that they're not. Exactly, and yeah, like with us, it's like I, I you know, it's so great. Um, I've gotten the pleasure of. I just want to talk about this. A few people I've met in the last few months, and one of them is someone that worked on the great documentary, Scream Queen, the story of. Yeah, I'm not going to go more into it because I don't have the copyrights to, but about, you know, the actor who played in Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And yeah, he, his name is Lock, I was going to say his last one, Lockwood. And he does these great horror trivia nights. I saw him today, man, his 
and that his uh, significant other, and he is definitely interested in having being on the show and having us eventually go down to trivia and do a podcast there. That would be incredible. I would I would love for him to be on our show. It's I just him, said, right? yeah, I just said like okay. honestly to him. I said to him like honestly, I think it's cheating now because if you have us go down there, we between you and I, we know all the horror stuff. You know this method. You know this part of the horror world. I know that part of the horror world. It's like it's cheating. We're gonna win everything. It's like no one's taking home anything but us. We're gonna have a. We're gonna have to take a cab because we're gonna have a full pack car. You know. Cab? No, 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 no. It's gonna be a limo. Hey, it's to fill it. We're gonna win. <laughs> to fill, we're gonna win. Yeah, it's gonna have to be. Yeah, we we need a limo. I'm telling you, we gotta go in style. And I just want to say to start like the show off to all those and I'm hearing this constantly. And I can say Al lives in a different place than I live. And in both of our worlds where we live, we both can confirm to you that yes, the Canada fire wildfires are, were affecting us on the East coast. And there's people like, no, that doesn't exist. It never happened all over the place saying that I'm like, what? I'll tell you this much. Uh, even our stores right now, they, they have signs uh, that, tell people stock up the the air quality is low so stock up on your masks and stuff like that because it is it you, you can still feel it in the air yeah new york was giving out free masks at all these different train stations for like the whole week because people were getting sick i personally got sick the first day and i have a picture that which al saw and i guess you know you could confirm this it was orange in the sky it was so smoky, you could barely see the city in that photo. And honestly, like if you guys don't think that if people don't believe that's happened, that's like saying, like you're shitting on people who are being hurt and killed every day in this wildfire that keeps continuing. People have been killed by this. People's homes have been destroyed, and you're saying that their homes not destroyed. You're saying their lives don't mean anything. You are go there yourself, breathe it in, and see what it's like. How's that? I think you said it just fine right there. Like, obviously, if you're not there, you don't know. We are here on the East Coast. We are getting, well, we were getting a lot of that smoke. And we're thousands, well, hundreds, thousands of miles away from some of those fires. Yeah, and actually, today in New York, we were getting it again. We had a whole report on the news. And I had to wear a mask sometimes during the day. And I, I felt it in the air. And that's, you know what that says is they're still going through that. People mentioned the people who live in Ontario who are going through that, and we're, we're feeling it here. That, that's saying a lot. It's terrible. Uh, yeah, I do, I do think it's a bit ridiculous that people say that, oh, it's not happening. It's not happening. If it's not happening, how is a city, a mecca, such as New York, feeling it? And it's like the same people that say the, the, the earth isn't round. Oh, my God. I can't stand the flat earthers. Like, if it was a flat earth, don't you think, like, ooh, we'd be flipping over a lot of the time? Right? Or, oh my goodness, did you hear about the one, the people that think that earth is a giant turtle? Uh, that is beyond. That was the most iconic moment of my life because I actually did the face palm inside and just walked away. Uh, I don't get that. But the reason we're going into all this stuff, honestly, is 
this is all stuff that in the future it's going to be a nostalgic act to many when we're like in our old ages and well we're getting there already but like in our older ages and what tonight what we're going to be reviewing is (laughs) one of my most nostalgic favorite films of all time and thankfully al agreed to review this with me and it's going to be the 1988 horror vampire film cult classic forever that spawned comic books that i had collected my whole life i literally begged my aunt and my mom to buy me the comic books like every day when they came out like and when i was like a seven eight whatever year old you know and i collected them and everything else they had a, they almost had a video game all this stuff it's the classic movie fright night part two which is the sequel to the original fright night which was one of the best fucking vampire movies of all time I'm gonna I'm gonna agree that it is one of the best, not the best, but one of the best. <laughs> one of the best, yes. And this this movie is directed now by Tommy Lee Wallace, who has directed a lot of Stephen King novel movies, and once again starring William Ragsdale, Roddy McDowell, the great Roddy McDowell, Planet of the Apes. Come on, Tracy. Lynn. Everybody knows him. Yeah, Tracy Lynn, who went on to do certain things, not not much, and okay. I have to now say this. The always beautiful in my heart, Julie Carmen. That is, in my opinion, the most beautiful vampire woman in any vampire film ever. Sorry, guys who liked Queen of the Damned. Julie Carmen did it first, all right? Zach's not dissing Aaliyah, but he is saying that Julie is better. In his opinion, and I have to agree, Julie is much better. Yeah, because like this is the the original movie, Fright Night, uh, very nineteen eighty five, and had like a young Roy, a William Wagsdale and McDowell. McDowell was very skeptical about doing this kind of movie, and, but the movie was very successful. And one of the parts of the movie was why it was really successful was the, the composing of Brad Fidel, who actually returns in this movie. And I'll give more into that later on. So now, with this being shopped around, it was released by New Century, Beat Vista in North America, TriStar Pictures elsewhere in 1989. Uh, it was not really well promoted or anything. It was really shocked a lot. And that's unfortunate. But later on, I know how I found it. VHS, HBO, and that's how a lot of people found it. And I fell in love with it. I actually found it in a a small video store in their horror section. I was getting the original Fright Night, and my mom was like, well, if you're going to get the first one, you might as well get the second one, because they were side by side. I never heard of it before. Yeah. I think I I was about five, so. No, that's the thing. The way I, I I love Fright Night so much, but when I found Fright Night 2, it was like, um, you know, single mom at home watching HBO and Fright Night 2 comes on. I'm like, oh, awesome. But then I couldn't see it again on there. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So I went to like my local video store, which I later ended up working at. And I got Fright Night 2 and I just kept it, I think. <laughs> I like uh, never returned it. I loved it so much. You guys heard none of that. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, later I ended up working there. So come on. It was owed. Yes. <laughs> Preemptively owned or owed, yes. <laughs> All right, so beginning our review of Fright Night 2. Well, Fright Night Part 2. 
officially. The film begins with the recap of the original Fright Night going through everything that's happened. Uh, really, really well done as well, I gotta say. The recap was quite well done, yes. And after that, it's now three years after this, this is scenario from the original Fright Night. And now we meet a 20-year-old Charlie Brewster telling his story from the recap to his therapist, therapist. Dr. Harrison, during his psycho his like psychiatric psychiatric therapy sessions that he's been going through for three years three years yeah yeah <laughs> but after that harrison asked him, what really happened charlie charlie now believes that jerry dandridge was nothing but a serial killer a cult worshiper who abducted his girlfriend amy and friend ed thompson evil ed shut up and triggered a defense mechanism in his head thinking he was a vampire and he asks, was Jerry Dandridge ever a vampire? And Charlie says, no, there's no such thing. How do you know? He asks him. In response, Charlie says, vampires don't exist. Enter the credits. Fright Night 2. <laughs> I'm sorry, but his rational thinking is more outlandish than him thinking it was vampires. Yeah, like, like I didn't go all. He was a child molester, like all the, like so many, so many things. Like he was, like the, the the therapist is like making him believe this one guy was a was a was a serial killer, a fucking rapist, a child rapist, a kidnapper, every everything under the rainbow, pretty much. But a vampire, right? I would have believed vampires before I would have believed the shit that. This uh, honestly, in, 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 rea in reality, I'd rather know my next neighbor is a vampire rather than a child rapist, a fucking serial killer, uh, and everything else that this guy is trying to tell him that he was, you know? Yeah, I mean, if it's a vampire, a lot less red tape. <laughs> it's yeah, please. Just start to stick to the heart over and done with. Yeah. You don't have a bunch of lawyers and stuff like that and lynch mobs going after them. <laughs> so after this great last like whatever therapy session that we're talking about we now see charlie like leaving his therapy after the, the three years and is he's busy telling him he's scared of running into peter vincent and that's the guy that pretty much helped him and saved his life in the original and he's like Charlie's basically saying he doesn't know what to say to him and this and that, you know. He doesn't know how to rationalize what rationalize what and all that. And that's that point. But Charlie gets back to his dorm room and it's like immediately like the scene goes right like that. He opens his, his chest of all his vampire killing. That's a lot of shit in that chest. It looked very much like something you would see on Buffy. It totally it looked like Buffy with this, like, with her strength, open up the chest, and, like, all that shit's in there. I'm like, okay. Like, not the show, but the movie, it looked exactly like what Buffy would have. Yeah, it, not the show. The show would be not the movie, yes. Yeah. Exactly. And he carries them all out and throws them in the dumpster. I'm like, alright. Guess he won't be doing these, then. Alright, Okay. I still would have kept that shit. And the next scene is like we get Charlie shaving, you know, college 20-year-old shaving. Ah, cuts himself in the side of the throat, puts the band-aid on it. But isn't that the perfect place for where a vampire would get into? You would think. But 
Have you ever seen one spitting? Come on, she doesn't bite in no necks. Mmm. Just saying. Oh, we gotta do that one day. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> so now we see in this version, Peter Vincent back at back at it on his show. And like the producers are just tired of him. Like Peter Vincent's going off script. He's like, is he reading the script? He never looks at the scripts. Like he's ad libbing. Yeah, he's like, they're just tired of him. And that's all we get from him, and that's at this point. And now we meet Charlie's new girlfriend, Alex Young, who is Oh my God! If you've ever, if you've ever met anybody, and I have, who goes to school for these kinds of things, she is totally a clinic, a clinical psychiatrist and training student, so full of herself with all her clinical studying and like, oh, making everything rational bullshit. She's the psych student that is gonna make you roll your eyes and want to smack them with their own textbooks. She's like the girlfriend of if it's your brother and she comes with him. And you don't know her at Thanksgiving, and she's gonna pull her clinical psychiatrist bullshit. She's gonna dinner. psychoanalyze everybody at that table. She's never gonna leave. They're gonna bury you in the basement somewhere. I I have no rebuttal to this. <laughs> anyway, so like him and Alex go to visit Peter Vincent finally. You know, but like you know. You can tell he's kind of like this burnt-out vampire killer on the show Fright Night that he created, which is a late-night vampire show for anybody that didn't see the fucking original movie. And if you didn't see the original, what are you doing watching the second? Watch yeah. the original. And Charlie's like, kind of like, yeah, I want to be here. And Peter then is telling stories to Alex about his and Charlie's adventures. And forearmed is always to be forewarned, as he always says. Mm -hmm. To be forearmed before you're forewarned. And what did Charlie do? He threw everything out. So he's not forearmed. <laughs> no, he's completely vulnerable. So at this whole point, like we're at we're at Peter this is like so 80s. We're at Peter's apartment that's like somehow close to like Charlie's campus in a way, you know? I love the fact that Peter's apartment feels very 18th century uh, upperclassman. And it's great that like, you could, you see you get the scenes really well done directing wise. You see like all his props from all his movies everywhere. You know. Yes. You, thanks for thanks for uh, bringing that up. I, I'm surprised somebody else noticed that kind of stuff. Yeah, because like he he loves what he does. I, after that fright night, he fell back in love and knows what's out there in the world, and he respects the fact that he's made these movies, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Are, are, are we good? What was that? No, no, hey, we're good. Uh, so, yeah. So, like, <laughs> at Peter's, they're at Peter's apartment, and they are clearly, like, like, they're clearly, like, not comfortable in a lot of ways, you know? Would you be, though, given this circumstance and you were Charlie, would you feel comfortable? No, not so much. But you yeah, you're trying to, like, you're going through three years of therapy and you're trying to fix this now, you know? I truly don't think Charlie ever really believed that therapist. Because, like, you look at how Charlie's looking to Peter and how he's reacting with Alex. It's almost like he's trying to force himself to believe that vampires are not real. 
Well, he wants he wants to believe it, you know. Yeah, but I think deep down inside, he knows. He knows they're real. I don't know. I think the therapist was like trying to brainwash him. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. And again, the apartment scene is just so important to talk about because it's when Charlie is like, like what you just said, Charlie's trying to not believe it. And as he's, I don't believe it. He looks at Peter's window. And this is where we get the same kind of sequence from the original. But now we see three large crates being offloaded from a truck, you know, <laughs> on the way to, from, to Peter's apartment. And Charlie's like, it's, this is not real. This is not real. This is not happening. <laughs> hey, he's got to give himself a pep talk. He's got to keep himself sane, right? Yeah, and when he finally leaves Peter's apartment, Char- and, and Alex is going to the bathroom, Charlie sees now four strange people walk past them into an elevator, and Charlie instantly be- becomes drawn to one of the four. And of course, it's the alluring and beautiful character we learn is Regine. <laughs> and yeah, by the way, also from another great movie, In the Mouth of Madness. Yes. Perfect movie for anyone who wants a good movie at night. Just popcorn if, and chill. If you watch Regine in the first sequence, in this sequence, in the 80s, and you are from the 80s, her hair. Her clothing is so on point with, like, Fashion Week. It's insane. Like, they really knew how to style her. I I will agree with that. Minus one part that we will later get to. I didn't, I I just couldn't get into her outfit. It was just, mm, it didn't look right. It didn't fit the scene. But I'll just keep quiet on that one until we get there. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll be I'll debate with you on that because I know my I know what you're talking about. But all right, so all right. now Charlie does finally drive Alex back to her dorm as he begins to like you know like a 20 year old make out with her, only to at some point see himself thinking she's Regine, and he pulls away. Alex is pissed the fuck off, storms off, not realizing that something is following her. And what is following her? Hmm. What is following her? What do you think? The cameraman. Exactly. No, we we don't get there yet. That's what it is. Well, then another girl leaves. Nice try to bait me, though. I did. And another girl leaves the the her the dorm and begins to like you know walk away, and. It's 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 she's actually an actual um, actress. I forget her name. I don't remember who she is, but yeah, she is an actual actress. But she's Paul. Are you talking about the Asian girl? Yeah. She is from Kickboxer. She plays Kelly Who, right? Yes. Yes, She plays Madeline from Kickboxer. Yes, that's Kelly Who. I knew it. Yes, that's like Kelly Who's like fucking first movie role, I think. Uh, yes. Kickboxer was her first role. Kickboxer came out afterwards. Are you sure? Eighty-nine. Uh, same, maybe the same year. Whatever. It's around yeah. the same time. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. But yeah, that that's that's Kelly Who. Yeah, and I like 
as she's walking, she's obviously an art student with her like big book and her pro, you know, portfolio and all. This is when we get introduced to like one of Regine's vampires, which is one of the best characters ever in a movie like this, named Belle. That's actually played by the late great Russell Clark, a man who choreographed more than 100 music videos. And I, I love a lot of people. I know, I know who know who he was. Artists like Beck, LL Cool J, Michael, mostly known Michael Jackson, Gloria Estevan, and Queen Latifah, Smokey Robinson, George Clinton, David Bowie, and like at the end, Celine Dion, and more. And that is amazing. That the only reason I saw a documentary on both these movies, they casted him because he could do the choreography where he could he could do the, his own stunts where he could be on the roller skates. That scene when he's on the roller skates. That's one of the most infamous vampire scenes, in my opinion. I have no disagreement. I mean, the man is a legend, in, especially in the dance world. Especially. Yeah. In the dance world. And he 100% like choreographed every one of these scenes, and he did his own scene. Like, that was great. And such a team player with the makeup, the effects that he had to go through, and how he played this, this character. I loved it. And I, I believe he never acted before this anyway, so that was really cool. I do believe there is a dance scene later in the movie that he actually choreographed with himself and yeah, uh, another another person in the movie. And we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get that soon, yeah. Mm-hmm. So now Alex, meanwhile, is unaware that this guy, Louis, she meets, is another one of Regine's group members. Who's scaling up the wall? It's like in this comedic scene, scaling up the wall (laughs) outside her window as a a werewolf plate. Again, this this guy is now played by another great actor, John Grise, who you know from like Napoleon Dynamite. But John Grise, I'm going to explain this in a second. He's he's playing a werewolf here. In this scene, he is startled and falls when Alex inadvertently slams her window and and shuts on his hand and he falls down. But. This guy, John, your eyes, he literally, prior to this, played in the Monster Squad, another one of my favorite 80s classics. Here we go. Literally one year prior, a werewolf. And that werewolf that he played in Monster Squad was great looking. This werewolf guy, he originally wanted the same makeup artist to do his werewolf design, but couldn't get him. It wasn't as good, but... He it was does, fairly decent. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was fairly decent, but he does play a whole different kind of vampire dude than he did then. And the Monster Squad, he looks a little bit more buff and everything. And this movie, he gets a, he's more like a, a bit thinner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really see how versatile uh, John is from from this film to comparing him to. Come on. Napoleon Dynamite, like you would. Oh, dude, he, he's been on. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. He was great. He's been on so many comedy shows. I love. This man can literally play just about any role you put him in. And the guy is still going and looks kind of the same. Age has been very nice to him. He yeah. he does not age badly. No, and it's like. Yeah, but it's it's so like it's so like uh, iconic to us to talk about that in uh, within two years 
he played in two of the eighties most iconic like movies like this as the same kind of character, a werewolf, you know? I think that's probably what really got his career started off. Yeah, and he because was very he diverse. So well. And he played two totally different characters in both these movies. Yes, they're two totally different characters, but they are very similar at the same time, whilst being completely different at the same time. You know what I mean? Like He did such a good job at that. Yeah, very, such a good job at that, to the point where um, I think uh, originally, I don't know, I heard this, and I think I saw this in the documentary in the movies. His character didn't even get that much screen time. I think that he just had so many, they gave him more comedic moments in the movie because he was kicking ass, you know? I remember more of his scenes in this film than I remember um, well, Alex's I mean, scenes. Yeah, and I was going to say even this now, as we now introduce, as he falls down, and Bosworth, the big strong dude that's fucking with him, now is played by another, always a bad dude in my movie history mind, Brian Thompson, which was like the scary fucking cult dude from Co- Cobra, and then the scary dude from the show X-Files, you know? Many of the villains in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show. Many, yeah. And like, who, this man is perfect for a bad guy role. Yeah, and he's always perfect for, like, being the character who's, a, who's playing the bug-eating servant of Virginia in this movie, you know? But yeah, he still looks very... Uh, Zapper? Yeah. Yeah, perfect descriptive word right there dapper i i always was kind of curious of like who he's supposed to be and within like the lore like because he eats bugs is he like the renfield or that's what i think he is because he's kind of like regine's right hand bad boy you know what i mean like that's that's like her go-to little henchman you know what i mean yeah because he's like kind of like what you would consider from the novels and the lore as a renfield because He's walking during the day. He's the henchman, and he eats bugs. Just not as, sorry to say this, not as bitchified as the character Renfield. Yeah, but this dude eats way too many fucking bugs. This guy is, like, on bug overload in this movie. Zach, look at his, that man needs nourishment. He's a big boy. (laughs) All right, all right. (laughs) Protein builds them them muscles. All right, so now we're going to get into, like, a steamy part of the movie. So later that night, Charlie is sleeping, and he's getting knocks on his door. Like, really, like, good knock-knocks. Like, if someone's really knocking on that door. And he looks, opens the door, and there is... None other than... Sexy Regine, I gotta say. Charlie's, like, closes the door right away, freaking out, saying, one, there are no vampires. Two, there's a rational explanation for this. And three... This, that was very rude. And four, she's incredibly beautiful. And five, there are no vampires. As you guys are listening to him, close your eyes. Tell me what color his face is. Come on. Zach, you're totally red. You blush when you mention Regine every time. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, Charlie then reopens the every, door. Every guy's, every guy's dream from the 80s, I'm telling you. So Charlie open, reopens the door, back up, sees Regine walking away in the hallway, and she turns around and says, you're not Charlie, in that oh my god voice. <laughs> Sorry. 
He says, yes, I am. I'm Charlie Brewster. But you're not Charlie Cassidy. And apologizes as she must have the wrong dormitory. She walks away, but then says, Charlie, again, in a sexy voice, do you have a light? I, if I was a 20-year-old in a dorm, and this woman, like, come on. You know? Whether your name was Charlie or not, oh, I'm Charlie. I'll be like, I'm whoever you want me to be, you know? <laughs> I would too, and I'm not a I'm not a dude. And he's like, yeah, sure. And I love like any like, 80s college guy that small little dorm, like the smallest dorm I've ever seen in a college movie. By the way, like he's like throwing all the clothes under the bed because he's got a messy room and everything, looking for the lighter for her. His room is smaller than the room in Dead Man on Campus. That's sad. Yeah. And then whole point of that movie is for them to get a bigger room. <laughs> Yeah, like this. Charlie's in pretty much a walk in closet. Just so, like. but yeah, she gets there just in time when he's like, Yeah, and she asks him, Does he mind if she smokes? And no, 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 no. And she then says, She'd kill for a cup of coffee. And he's like, Instant. He's got his guy. You know, during finals, I have to cram this it's college, 80s college bullshit coffee jokes, you know? Your stereotypical coffee's going to keep you up all night now, ain't Then as, I have to say that, as a guy right now, as Regina's sexually smoking, sexually smoking that cigarette, and you know that, so what's going on. She's looking at Charlie and says, Charlie, you remind me of someone. He had a mouth like it, yours. Good lips, and he knew how to use them. And then she asked, do you know how to use your lips, Charlie? Instantly, men everywhere drop. Yeah, as Charlie turns around and looks at her, and she's just looking at him really by his face. He goes in, but she goes in, and then he grabs her, and she's all about it. And they go at it like a steamy little scenario there. And that, that, that all of a sudden you see Regine's very well done fang scene. Regine's fangs extract yeah. out after after she's clawing slowly off Charlie's bandaid on his inside of the neck, and uses one fang to bite through it. Then Charlie not sees her. not even really biting through it. No, she just like raises it. Yeah, just slowly like, kind of sinks her fang she, in. She's just like she's getting ready, you know. Yeah. And then Charlie sees, and it's her eyes are like, ah, and he screams, and he wakes up, thinking it was all a dream or a nightmare, whatever you want to consider it. That's when we get more knocks oh, on the door. Oh, a wet nightmare? <laughs> yeah, maybe a wet nightmare. <laughs> oh, you should coin the term horror wet nightmare. That's not a bad idea. We are going to hashtag that, I think, in this like episode on Instagram. We have to, yes, definitely. <laughs> Make yeah. a note. <laughs> I have to do that, yes. So now he wakes up and Alex is knocking on the door, but Charlie's all freaked out and he grabs, like, out of nowhere, looking for a cross and grabs that and holds it in his hand. But it's, again, Alex, they all make up and he, like, tries to be nonchalant, throws the cross, and Alex sees that. It's like, Charlie, did you think I was a vampire? Yeah, because, you know, this is. This is normal college uh, 
conversation. Well, Giovanni obviously knows he's been a therapist for three years for thinking like his next door neighbor killed his best friend, and his, you know, and stuff. Like he's a vampire, and that's what he believed at one point. I even knowing that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be saying that. I'd be like, seriously, dude. That that's all I'd say. Just seriously, dude. <laughs> I don't know. I she she's the she's the uh she's the nightmare wet dream cock blocker. She shouldn't have knocked. Leave him alone. Uh, dude, I'm telling you, the clinical therapist in her, she plays an '80s clinical therapist student to the T. I have friends older than me that went and well, like new girls like her or guys like her. Guys were even worse than her. A guy would go out with a girl and like fucking patronize them so much more. I'm a clinical psychiatrist student in training. You really should talk to your dad more. Like, shut the fuck up, you know? Oh, those people annoy me. It's I get I get that they're trying to familiarize their, themselves with what they are studying, what they want to pursue a career in. I'll leave that shit out of your social life. Because it like, irritates your friends and family. You're like two years in. Stop. Not exactly. Yet. Yeah. Get a practice you first. Yeah. No, no, I want get the practice, then do it. You know. Exactly. <laughs> so the next day, Charlie goes to talk to a psychiatrist, obviously freaking out, and Doctor Harrison assures him that he dreamed of this, and it was only it's only natural, and tells Charlie to get some exercise. What kind of exercise should you get? Go bowling. That's exercise. All right. So Charlie is not bowling. Well, I mean, I mean, you walk the the three or four feet and you swing your arm a little yeah that's not exercise you guys come on there's fat guys doing this yeah so later on that day alex finds charlie bowling and charlie's wearing sunglasses on and the bowling have you ever been to a bowling alley you really don't need to wear sunglasses yeah it's not exactly well lit and she asks him why are you doing bowling her doctor's orders and charlie agrees to Go to the the symphony with Alex after she got them tickets. And a little bit of culture. A little bit of culture because he needs a little bit in his life, you know. And on his way to said symphony, however, he sees his friend Richie Green, who like in real life unfortunately passed away of HIV and you know, horrible thing. He didn't have a longer life after this movie. I want to mention that, but. He was a really cool. He was an older actor, and he played a great, great some roles. But he played good as Richie Green. But we meet him prior. Yeah, we meet him prior when he goes to Charlie's room to borrow a tie and says he's going to a party to impress art women, bohemian bodies. Bohemian bodies. Hey, it's college speak. I mean, just just that description alone, you know why he's going. He thinks he's going to get a piece. Yeah. So, is at this point now, Charlie sees Richie going in to the place with Regine, and Charlie decides to follow him in. This is at the same time. Meanwhile, Alex is waiting for Charlie at the symphony. But wham, then comes Louie. You know, our friendly, crawling up the roof, werewolf dude. But he's now rocking a suit. Our flea bitten stalker. Yeah. And he's like, excuse me. You wouldn't happen to have an extra ticket, would you? <laughs> and she's like, 
I guess, I guess you're in luck. Gives him the ticket, and he's like, yeah. And he's all happy, walking behind her, going in there. I swear to God, he has a crush on her. Yeah. I mean, further on, you kind of see more of that, but right here, you just know he's like, he's not looking at her as a morsel. Yeah, his whole, his whole, his whole like like agenda, like what his plan, what he was supposed to do is like bite her and you know turn her, but mm-hmm. he's like, no, I'm not hungry, dude. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get back to Charlie. We we see Charlie like clumsily trying to climb up a fire escape outside of Regine's apartment, and only to be horrified when he sees Regine and Belle, like. That was sexy with the music, like bite Richie in places that no one would ever look, you know? <clears throat> Jim Carrey knows what that's like. <clears throat> yeah, but this was sexier. <laughs> oh, yeah, this was much sex. It wasn't um, a middle-aged woman doing it. <laughs> exactly. Well, oh, hold on. Lauren was a very beautiful woman, okay? Was, but... Come on, in today's society, a woman like that being sexual with a 17-year-old boy. No, that Richie, is illegal. Uh, no, Richie was six. Remember Charlie said Rich Richie spent like six years in college? He's at least like 20-something years old, supposedly. Oh no, I'm talking about Jim Carrey. His character. Oh, Jim Carrey, yeah. That yeah. was and Jim Carrey was actually very young when he did that role. Exactly. And his counterpart was not. No. See, in this very scene, awkward. in this scene. We understand that we have a gay actor with a beautiful, beautiful Regine and a male actor playing a, a they or them vampire, biting into him in areas that no one can see. And having the music in the background was very sexual and sensual, you know? Regine could have turned me into a lesbian. I'm, that's how beautiful she is. And every scene, Regine does not... And there's like no way she's ugly in this movie. I'm just saying that. I'm, I'm just, you know what I mean? Uh, her herself, no. But there is one. Where I'm just like, nah. <laughs> so now Charlie runs off to. He, now he believes again. He runs off to find Peter. And Peter doesn't believe him whatsoever. But, you know, kind of like, whatever goes with him. And the two of them arm themselves. With crosses and crass jeans, really in this day and age, hipster party invite only. Uh, it's very eighties, very, 80s. very like you would see like Robert Downey and Kiefer and people like that there doing coke kind of thing, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Or you know Julia Roberts from like you know Pretty Woman. Like oh, in the no. Banana. no, like Mystic Pizza, Julia Roberts. Yeah, there you Well, kind of the same thing, really. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, like it's it's iconic um, 80s club. But, but yeah, it's not a club. It's in a, a hotel. And she's got like double, like, she's got, like, the suite or something, where everybody can fit in this place, supposedly, you know, in this building. Yeah. And at, at this party, Peter's, like, all laughs. He's, like, laughing it off, as everyone's dressed as vampires. It's a party, Charlie! It's a party! And Charlie finally finds Richie, and he's shocked, and he's looking around him, 
I, I love that scene where Richie's like, it's just not the thing to do, Charlie. No. Don't. He's like thinking he's a, like gay or something. Like, like he's trying to put the moves on him. Yeah, because he doesn't find any marks on him. He just keeps going further. And, all right, Charlie apologizes to Peter. As Peter says, such a thing could not happen twice, Charlie. Okay. All right. Well, I guess it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. There's apparently. so many great references to this point, which is great for the sequel of this movie, you know? Yeah. And that's when, all of a sudden, the score of this movie hits again, and Regine makes her, oh my god, entrance, doing this erotic dance with the now mesmerized Charlie, like, right in front of her. She grabs Charlie's cross out of his hands and flips that right into a mirror. Mm-hmm. Act ends. We learn she is a performance artist in town for some shows that some fans are there for. And she introduces herself to Peter and Charlie. And Peter's all like amazed by her and kisses her hand and everything. Completely enamored. And now satisfied that what he thought was Regine attacking Richie was nothing but an act. Charlie leaves. Oh, but but he remembers his date with Alex. He fucked up. Again. I, I gotta be the first to say it. That scene with Regine, great scene, but her outfit really irritated me. Oh, I fucking, I disagree. Um, it did I, not I, fit. I, I, I have to say performance art in New York City at that time was that. It was too dated. She was, for me, it just, the outfit alone didn't look right. She looked great, but it just didn't work for me. I hated it. I <laughs> did not hate it whatsoever. Okay. Well, I mean, that that's, you know, that's your opinion. That's my opinion. But absolutely nothing against, against uh, Carmen, You're- so. All right, Hater. Anyway. <laughs> so at this point, Peter elects to stay behind. You know, have some fun. Mingo. And he's like having his fun. When he's so vain, he pulls out his little mirror. And mm-hmm. as he's going out, he notes that uh, he's looking around. He sees that people in the corners of the room biting each other's necks. And then noticing the odd behavior while his mirror is out, he finds that Regina and Bell who are dancing very well choreographed by, again, the Belle character. Mm-hmm. As I stated floor. in the beginning. Yep. They cast no reflections. Dun, dun, dun. So what does that say to Peter? Well, I'll tell He's you. He's got a in... defective mirror. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure. I'll tell you that much. Peter storms the hell out of that party. But as Peter's running out, he... Gets there and runs right into Regine, waiting for him outside. Who reveals herself as a vampire. But not only that. I mean, he already knew it. That, yeah, now he But not only that, he didn't know this. That she is the sister of Jerry Dandridge, who was yes. 1,000 years old when they killed him. And Regine Dandridge has come to take her revenge on both Charlie and Peter. Stating that you're a coward, Mr. Vincent, and telling him all this, destroying him, and that 
she's going to make him pay, but his punishment won't be as severe as Charlie's and promises and promises him that he will pay. But then she turns into a bat and flies off. I, okay. I absolutely loved that. They kind of incorporated a little bit of Dracula in there because Dracula did the same thing. You know what I mean? Like there's still some classic notes in that. That was like, they did a lot of nods. Like again, the director, Tommy was like, he really did understand vampire culture and it was how he portrayed Regine with the eroticness with like her turning to bat, like things like that. That was very on point with what you really want to do with a vampire film during the time of that era where vampire films were more based on eroticism and alluring and enticement. Yeah. Along with being kind of upscaled upper class, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think she did a wonderful job, and they did a great job with uh, writing this role for her. I agree. And um, to this day, you know, like, Julie Carmen, well, she's been asked over the years what her nationality is. She'll never tell anybody what her nationality is. I don't think she needs to. She All anybody really needs to know is that she's a wonderful woman. People, she's, got, yeah. she's got a big heart, too. People, yeah, she does foundation. People have asked her if she's Brazilian, Puerto Rican, Russian, this, that. And she got so tired of these questions about the 80s and the early 90s, and she has never wanted to answer these questions ever again, and I applaud her for that. It's nobody's business, and you know what? All we need to know, like I said, she's a talented, well, well-educated, kind-hearted human being who is absolutely beautiful in every single way. Thank you. Yes. Absolutely. So now at this point, Peter runs back home and he's fucking scared shitless. He hides. He's trying to try, he's trying to like reach Charlie, but can't get to you know can't get to him. And then he's like, "All right, in the morning he will," and because he just remembers he has to wait for daylight. Mm-hmm. So now Charlie, at the same time, is, after being turned away from the symphony because it's closed at this point, returns home, falls asleep, totally he, feeling like a jackass. Yes. But now, this time when he falls asleep, we see smoke rise and Regine appear, who rips off Charlie's band-aid, bites him on the neck this time, actually. Good. Good tooth on neck contact. Yes. Simmer and down. We're going to leave you there as we're going to play a song, my favorite song from this movie. From Deborah Holland. And Deborah Holland did this synthetic song that the original Brad Beale did in the original. But this song is so hard to find. It's only available really on YouTube. It was never on a lot of records. I think even on Deborah Holland's record, she doesn't have it on. But I want to play this, this, this song for you. I want to play a good amount of it for you. And it'll probably be about like two minutes. And we'll come back and review the rest of this movie. And I hope you enjoy the song if you've never heard it. It's a very... One of my favorite songs from the 80s, one of my favorite songs from now, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Al, I'll see you and talk to you in a few minutes, all right? All righty, let's go. Let's go.
Everybody, we're back, and that was Deborah Holland with Come To Me, and I hope you guys enjoyed that song. Honestly, um, you can go on YouTube and find, just go, Friday Night 2 soundtrack, 1980s, and you'll find Deborah Holland's version, but you'll also find almost like 50 versions of fan-made videos since like 1994 of people, just with clips of Julie Carmen from the movie with the song. I've seen a lot of those, and I think a lot of the people that made those did an awesome job. Yeah, they really <laughs> like, did. And they, oh, just so great. And they really respect. That's how much they respect Julie Carmen's performance from this movie. Personally, I think she should have been given the title Queen of the Damned. I'm going to say it. In reality, like you, this is an actress that was very theater, like she was a very theater kind of actress. And when they were interviewing for this role, they knew who she was, and she like she did like a movie, like, and it was like a, a movie with a bigger actor. I'm not gonna get into that. We don't we have rights to talk about these movies, but like yeah, and she's done some good work, and she's worked with other stuff. They saw her, and the writing of the script, they were like, "This is Regine." When she came in, the way she looked, the way she talked, she had no identification of what she was. Like they didn't know like she was this or that or she's just perfect a vampire that is the power of regime like you know the sister of jerry dandridge both him they both have the same mouths if you really look at their mouths in reality they both mm -hmm. have that same look but she also has that same way to speak very sexual like jerry did you know very smooth kind of suave yeah and you needed her and i think that's what really oh. made I like got the end of the day, Charlie's Charlie from the original. You need him, but Malcolm is Malcolm. You can't take anyone away from her. But like, and Tracy Lynn, she's there. What's gonna say? Well, like, Regine was the star of the movie, in my opinion. I mean, you really can't say much more about Tracy. I'm I'm sorry to say this, but that that's exactly what she she's just kind of there. Yeah. She's really not all that pivotal in in the story. I mean, it's a better female counterpart for Charlie, I must say, than Amanda Burst. I'm just saying that. Oh, my God. Nobody could stand Amy. I guess if you really could believe that Charlie was going out with Amanda Burst in that movie, as Amy. Mm. I'm sorry. Even then, even though she didn't know she was a lesbian, you just knew that she didn't feel comfortable playing a heterosexual woman with another man. No, there is, there is no chemistry as opposed to like in this movie, you heard, you heard like the banter between like Tracy Lynn and, you know, William Ragsdale as actors together. Like you knew they, these two probably wanted to bang each other at one point during the movie, you know? Uh, I, I can speak for a lot of us straight girls. You know, I, I definitely would have. Yeah. So that's that. <laughs> anyway, so this is going to be the conclusion of our review and we're going to get to it now. Uh, yeah. So now, now Charlie is fucking fully content with his explanation that Regine is a performance artist and once again in full denial and this is where he begins to discuss his children with Alex 
and I, I'm not going to go much into it. You can if you want. They get into a fight over Charlie's fashion age short, low-grade melodramas, such as, I do have to mention, Bloodsuckers from Beyond. Um, this is an actual movie, by the way. Yes, it is. And Dracula, the novel. And I would have smacked her at this point. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> I, I've never read Dracula. Oh, 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 oh. And he gets very intense. And like, I can't believe you. Oh. And he comes back like a little whiny bitch and apologizes and asks her to have dinner with him tonight. I, mean, I, I, I really hated that part, honestly. I'm just glad at this part we just then get to Peter, who arrives at this point looking all frantic and crazy, like only Roddy McDowell could have done this. I loved it to warn them that Regine, after being is like a vamp, you know, she's like a vampire. But this is not only this part. This is great because before we even get here, I just have to mention the subplot where he goes to them after he goes to his own show. And realize and finds out he's fired, baby, because they hired Regine to take over the show. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, they they already said that you know basically they, in not so many words, but they said that they were really tired of him and they wanted somebody but, new, someone fresh. And what did Regine say to him in that hallway? He, she's not going to have his punishment as bad as Charlie's is going to be, but his biggest punishment could be taking away everything he has. You know. Exactly, and that's what she was doing, taking away everything he has. And Fright Night was everything he had. Yeah, he created Fright Night. That was his show, you know? That was his life, his whole entire life. Uh, Now, so now we get to, like, he's warning, he's trying to warn Charlie and Alex. And Charlie's like, Peter, listen to me. There are no vampires. And Peter stares on, like, and Alex defends him and everything. And Peter's like, I warned you. I warned you. And he runs back to his home. And he, in a quick moment, packs his fucking bags and gets the hell out of there. Pretty much. Uh, he's like, fuck this. I got to get out of here. It's like Charlie in the first movie trying to tell Peter. And now it's Peter trying to tell Charlie, you know? This is one thing I... It, it doesn't really work because Charlie should believe Peter. Because... Obviously, Peter's the one he went to. Peter's he, the one he sought he, out for. But you know, you have, you have to say, in the like, first, and like he was a teenage high school kid in the in the first movie. Now he's this kid with three years of psychotherapy or whatnot, and everybody telling him it's all in your head. Blah blah blah. This is the world of serial killers. This is the world of a pet up like serial killer and, and child molesters and shit. Like, there's no vampires. There's a lot more evil people out there that you should know. That's that. You know, it, he, he doesn't comprehend he's being told all this shit being spun to his mind he's not that smart to begin with in my opinion and that's you know <laughs> he's not but I, this is after he's already suspected these things he's already dragged peter places like come on this is this is peter basically uh telling him dude what you suspected is true but now we get some more insight on this because after this happens that's when we see that scene when Charlie's like about to order that pizza and he's like, all right, you sold me on it. And it's oh like, my God. And Scott Carly spits it out. And this is where he shows the sun. So he's not only wearing sunglasses during sunlight. He can't eat garlic. And after Dude, the- I would have spit this fucking pizza out. She says she put a whole entire bulb of garlic on it. That was like, 
first of all, that where what pizzeria was that? You know, I have no clue. But who the hell uses an entire clove or a, an entire bulb of garlic on one pizza? But how do you you then tell him that after he's already sold on what you said to him? Then you add that to it. You know. Yeah, that one key ingredient. That's all over it, like a fucking field day. How did he not smell it if there was an entire bulb on there? I don't know. But then uh, he's like, it just he, wasn't written out quite right in that spot. No, now he's all freaking out and found to talk to a psychiatrist who's not in office. That's when he overhears the news report about Richie's body being discovered the previous night. Now he finally believes that everything is real. So what does he yeah, now do? A dead person. Yeah, but what does he do now? He goes to see Peter, only to find that Peter is gone. Well, no shit. If I was old and I was Peter and nobody believed me, I'd be out too. And that's when we get to the sequence where Charlie finds Regine's sleeping place. I don't want to get into the details because they're really well not they're not well written at all. I will say this: I love the fact that her coffin is very simple yet very elegant. I love the dark wood and the finish on it without it being like overdone like you know how you see in the in the movies nowadays like oh yeah coffins are just elaborate yeah it was very like very simple but that is something that you just described as something that it's very easy to travel across the world like that won't be noticed as much you know exactly and, and that gives it more of that whole discreet feel whereas today vampire movies and shit like that we got to have it so decorated and everything like that. Come on now. Vampires kept their, their identity very safe. I, I, dude, I'm so, I, I got to say, we're going to pause on the movie real quick. I'm so glad you brought this up. How many other fucking podcasts who've ever reviewed this movie are going to go into this like we're doing this right now? But also, I'm going to go further. You're, you're, correctly, you're correct in everything. All these movies following, the coffins are like so elaborately CGI or bullshit. The only other coffin... I've ever really loved was from the show The Strain because that's the master and it's got like maggots coming out and that's his things, you know, like that, that coffin was holy shit good, you know? Right. But even in, even in that scene from The Strain, the coffin itself was not elaborate. It wasn't all decorated. It was very realistic on the outside. No, it looked like a coffin for a really big person a tall person that's been around forever you know exactly it wasn't overdone and that's what i love about it you got to keep things like this very simplistic because and, vampires were very don't look at me don't look at me and if you ever and i've done this because i watched this movie so many times if you ever paused fright night 2 i've done this years ago and if you actually really slowly look at regine's coffin it's the same size as her body Yes, actually, they they built this um, this prop coffin to fit Carmen's body. And they, that's what you do. That's what I don't like about a lot of vampire movies. The coffins have to be so like, oh, it's golden, or it's like, oh, or like, you know, gaudy. Like, Queen oh. of the Damned. Queen of the Damned. It was way too big for Stuart's body. It was way too gaudy, as you said. And it was just... Stuart, weighed, Stuart wet weighed like, what, 140 pounds maybe, you know? I would say Stuart was maybe 120, 25 pounds soaking wet. Like, he was a short man. This was a very long coffin, very wide coffin, and it was elaborate on the inside for comfort. Like, 
don't you think that would be, you know, a key somewhere that, hey, something's up with this dude? Yeah, and see, this is going to be our session on Coffin Talk. <laughs> like, it's much more believable in this 80s film because it feels more like a real coffin, like, not a, hey, look, but, look, we got to check this one out. Not only that, though, this is a scene where Charlie opens up Regina's coffin, like, with the weapon tr- uh, attempting to want to kill her. And you see her sleeping in such a position where you know she's the top bitch, you know? Yes. Yes. She, but that's, that's the thing. She almost looks regal, royal in, in the way she's just laying there very simply too. And all she has to do is she opens her eyes. They, and that these contacts were great when she opened that, when she does the eyes. And that's when we see basically Charlie back, put back into a trance and looking days and just walks away. Well, again, we go back to vampire lore. Regine does not have a lot of strength during the daytime hours. She's doing whatever she can before her body gives back out and she goes back into that slumber to kind of put Charlie away. And remember, Charlie is now under her control. Correct. So whatever, how she, she could be as least control she is, she can control Charlie very easily as he's becoming a vampire at this point. Yes, the more the more contact Charlie makes with Regine, the more and more he's losing Charlie, and the more and more he becomes susceptible to her powers and her will. Exactly. And now we get to a scene where I had to change my notes during the break for you, and we get Louis, who's once again stalking Alex, <laughs> who's at the library, and you see like with her eyes, reading like, and we all, if you ever read Dracula, the book, it's very long. And she's reading that whole book within like two, three hours, like not even, you know? Maybe five at the most, if yeah. possible. I mean, I, when I first read Brown Stoker's Dracula, it took me like a week, you know? It took me three days, but okay. You were probably much more busy than I was. As a yeah, teenager. I was in school. I had an after, I had, I had after school job. I'd read on the bus ride home, you know. Right. I, you know, the first time I read it, I was a speed reader. It was summer, and I'm just like, yeah, I sped right through it. But it is a very thick book. I think it's over five, three to four hundred pages, something like that. And I, again, I really have to say, Ram Shoker, like his Dracula novel, is in American history should be more. High- elevated in my opinion as a great novel it honestly i feel it's more beautiful it's not really so much a horror novel it's about humanity it's about love and compassion it's about loss a lot of things it is it's about loss of love self soul faith it's a beautiful story and if you haven't read it you guys i strongly urge you give it a shot i think if you listen to our show and you into horror and, like, if you're younger and you don't read books, I guess, read that as the one book that I'm going to tell you this summer, please. Like, you got to read that book. To, to be to be quite honest, between Bram... To be fair. And, <laughs> to be fair. Between Bram Stoker and Anne Rice, I know it's very cliche to say it, but I think that if you read, you know, between those books, um, it'll definitely give you a new perspective, a new respect for what the vampires should be rather than what they are now perceived to be in the newer movies. I think they've really lost that magical feel to them. 
And when I have to add that L, is not, she said vampires, but I have to add this to you guys who, if you don't know who Anne Rice was as a writer, anything before she became religious. And the story. Yes, yes. Honestly, my favorite book she's ever written is The Vampire Vittorio. If anybody has seen it, I strongly urge you to grab it and read it. It is a beautiful, beautiful book. You know, if you have a signed copy of that by Anne Rice and you go to an auction, that's caught, that can get you a lot of bank. I'm just saying that. Oh, I wish I had something signed by Anne Rice. I wouldn't if, sell it, though. If, if, you, if you actually have the original Vampire Chronicles, like, uh, and you have it signed by Anne Rice, like, during the mm -hmm. first two years when she wrote that and you go to an auction, you're buying a house and a car. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's worth a lot. But right, so she that, also recently passed within the past year or so. Yeah, but she passed with not such a great reputation, you know? At the this end. is true. This is true. Anyway, so like now, you know, Louis, the stalker guy, the werewolf guy, he's being asked by Alex to leave. He does. Then Charlie arrives and surprises her with all these great little romantic things and sees her reading Dracula. And she admits that she thinks she knows him better now. Shit when she told him she read that whole thing. I'm like, nah. Nah, she she's a speed. It. You see her speed. She's speed reading it. Come on. She skimmed that shit. Anyway, again, back to Peter. I have to mention every Peter scene. While Peter, this is the scene where Peter goes to the bar and sees on the screen of the bar his show, Fright Night, coming on air. And that scared looking dude, looking dude with the cape on is introducing a special and unique talent and introduces the new host of the show, none other than. Regine. And that's when the bartender asked Peter, come on, man, what do you do? And I love this whole sequence. Ace Bond's friend, he killed, I kill vampires. I'm a vampire killer. He's telling him. Bartender laughs it off again and again. And he is like, are you hard of healing, hearing? I kill vampires. And storms, storms right off. And like, you know, that's going to lead to something good. Okay, first of all, when Regine's doing that dance, I'm sorry. They, it was a, ter it was terrible. It was more cringe feeling than anything. They did not give her a good enough dance. It was, it felt very. All right, was it, was it better or worse than Salma Hayek and from Dust to Dawn? Worse. Okay. I'm so, and, and you know, it's not the actress's fault or anything, but I just feel like this, this dance was not done very well not smooth enough you know what i mean no like, i i 100% don't think russell clark was involved in that choreographing and dancing scene he, he couldn't have been it was not at all his his talent at all in this scene no. you could tell it was very choppy very she didn't she didn't seem like she was moving very naturally or very comfortably and it wasn't very seductive like she was trying to make it so it just didn't fit yeah and during this whole sequence on the screen which looked so too artsy and like you said didn't fit that's when Charlie and Alex are watching on the small little TV in the library. That same scene where Charlie freaks out, has to run to the bathroom. And then Alex runs back into Louie, the stalker werewolf, who show, and who finally reveals his true nature to Alex, that he has the eyes. And Charlie's like, leave her alone. After having never went to time. And then turns into like, shows him he's a werewolf. And they're running away from him, trying to flee from him. And Alex injures him by what? 
cramming wild roses from the novel Dracula, which are harmful to vampires and werewolves, into his mouth. Kind of ironic, don't you think? Uh, They just happen to come upon these? Yeah, where they come from. Oh, wild no, roses. They're the, flowers that, they're the flowers that Charlie gave her. But where did he get them from? He got his flowers. He had to have gotten his flowers from a florist. Where the, what florist gets wild roses? No. Come on now. Unrealistic. At this time, Charlie's so impressed that like, you that's from Dracula. Yes, Charlie. I would not have known that if I didn't read Dracula. So I guess she ran up the books, giving her fucking speed reading it, you know? I think she read the cliff notes. <laughs> okay. No. She's a clinical psychiatrist in training. She does not read cliff notes. Okay. They all do. What are you talking about? Not in the 80s. <clears throat> okay. So, and that's why, like, at this point, Ch- like, Alex and Charlie are then arrested by the campus officers. The campus officers, I must say again. Yeah. The okay. rent-a-cops. Back to Peter. Yes, this is my book. Back to Peter. Peter's also arrested by the cops after he shows up on the set of Fright Night, attempting to kill its new host, Regine, on live TV after saying, after she's saying, welcome to Fright Night. And he's like, ah, I gotta kill her. The way she said it. The way she said, welcome to Fright Night. Oh, I dream about her saying that to me all the time. Anyway. I remember, like, Peter used to, but she also adds the line. As Peter, her predecessor, used to say, the forces of darkness are everywhere. Well, obviously. And I, I love how when Peter runs out there, like, I got a killer, she's a vampire. And it, God, obviously, everything, everybody thinks he's insane. And as he's well, wouldn't, wouldn't you, though? Like, that's the thing. Everybody else, nobody else has seen these vampires and werewolves and, you know, stuff like that. This old dude is saying she's a vampire. Everybody, obviously, is going to be like, uh. But, but like, dude, even when he's being carried off by security, he's like, I gotta kill her. She's a vampire. I'm like, I wouldn't say that to security. And they're giving you that small little interview, and you're still saying it. And guess where you end up, buddy? The state hospital. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna end up in a hug yourself, Coke. Uh, so now we get back to like Alex now is bailed out of jail by none other than Dr. Harrison and they go to try to post bail for Charlie only to find out that he has already been bailed out by Regine of course so Alex I mean, and Regine has to save her little puppy oh yeah mm-hmm. okay so Alex and Dr. Harrison now head to the state hospital but that's when the doctor and I think one of the worst vampire actor guys ever Reveals that he's in fact a vampire with his little teeth coming oh out, my God. his little fangs, and he's trying to bite Alex. But she turns the tables on him as they run through, as they run around, and she he runs through a piece of wood himself. First of all, this man never should be a vampire. Never. He's only been in comedy shows. That's how I know him. If this were a true thing, like if, if this were a true scenario, right? I have a feeling Alex would have busted up laughing and just walked off because this man is so pudgy. There's no way he could keep up with her. I don't care how superhuman he is. 
Yeah. But he's middle aged, he's sweaty, he's fat. This is how bad of a vampire is. He basically kills himself by falling into the, the stake, the, the piece of wood. But it, how do you fall into it in such a way it goes to your heart, you know? <laughs> hey. Fat people are very good at being clumsy. All right. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. So now, with him dead, Alex, like, takes his ID and everything and assumes his identity as a doctor and tries to have Peter released from the hospital. And I love when she arrives and that nurse, I, I gotta say, the nurse that, like, smoked way too many cigarettes in her day, like, sounding, she... She asked her, Sounding where, like a man. Where, 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 where's the doctor? And Alex responds, I am. And, her balls drop. And she's like, and then I'm smoking the bear then. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That that voice just, no. Can you imagine that woman being a sex phone or a phone sex operator? <laughs> oh, you, you would be like, return my money right now, please. I asked for a man or a woman. I am a woman. Yeah, I love how Alex like has the balls. Be like, yeah, I got. I I've been through this. I I helped someone not jump off the roof today. Blah blah blah. Get a transfer papers ready now. I'm taking him. Very bossy and assertive. And then Smokey the Bear over there <laughs> learns that she's not a doctor and is about to call security, but a distraction. Intentionally caused by one of the hospital's patients, Fritzy, who I have to tell you now, who actually believes Peter's story about him. This is a guy that has worked, and his name is Josh Richmond, who's worked with Guns N' Roses and some of the biggest iconic 80s bands. And you know what? No one other than us horror nerds would this. Yeah. Like, like us horror and. 80s hairband cock rock fans wouldn't have known. I mean, if you're not one of us, you're not going to know this. Because like, if you watch the documentary on Friday Night 1 and 2, it's like they allowed this dude to like just do his own improv because the dude was like always, this dude was like, he, he's crazy. He was like, let's, yeah. You hear him by, like babbling in the movie. It's like he does his own lines. I love it. Basically, this is just a cameo for him, but. It, even at that, like, it's such a memorable performance that, as you just said, and shown us, you know, it's memorable. Like, he did a very good job. I, he, like, really stole the show in that sequence, you know? He really did, yeah. I'm so glad you, you brought attention to this one person who's in it for maybe 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Yeah, but uh, him with the mop, like, you fool! You, you fooling me? He's like talking to the mop. I'm mop, mop, mop. You know, like talking to the mop when he's mopping the floor. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. You know. <laughs> yeah, he's had one too many sips of uh, Kool Aid at the uh, cult conventions. Hey, he played a great role. He really did. So kudos to him. Yep. So now Alex has Peter out, and first they head to a church to get supplies. Then they head to his place to get what are his movie prop weapons that I guess work. And, uh, you know, and he's remembering all the movies he's worked on, nostalgic things. And that's when they then finally arrive at Regine's lair in order to save Charlie. 
And another sexy scene when Regine is washing, they're all washing Charlie down. And Regine is telling Charlie, soon you'll be immortal. And forever I will torture you. Again, men dropping everywhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when, like, Alex and Peter finally get in there. They first kill Richie. What is, I love that scene when Richie's mouth like, ah, drops down almost. You know, like, first apart. Oh, yeah, that was great. I love that scene. Hell, yeah. And that's where, like, they finally find Charlie, and they realize he's slowly turning into a vampire with the... You know, it's a really... He could not pull that off for the life of him at all. No, he really couldn't. I, I, I have to agree with that. It was it was very cheesy. But they do rescue him. Uh, but are confronted by Regine and her team... Who are left? As she says, "Welcome to Fright Night." The, the, and opens the cape up like a Stevie Nicks. Yes, as she opens the cape up like Stevie Nicks would do, you know. Oh yeah. Very Stevie Nicks. Yeah, she asked Charlie, "Are you hungry? Come kiss oh, me." And Charlie goes like, "Is in a trance again." And goes to her, is about to feed on Alex at this point. But snaps out of it and then stabs Bell's claws into Bosworth. Yes. And that this was, is such a great scene. With, like, I gotta say, note wise, God knows how many bugs had they, I don't even know. I so couldn't gross. Catch. It was disgusting. How many bugs fell out of his stomach in that scene? I mean, we got spiders, we got mealworms, we got mag. Ugh. Yeah, it's gross. I don't oh. do bugs. Then we get I, the I loved it. It was it was very good. It was very good makeup and practical. It, it was really how he how the claws went through his chest, his stomach, right? And how the bugs, all kinds of different bugs again, because he ate different bugs throughout the whole movie. How they slowly all this and all Ugh. fell out, you know? A very Freddy Krueger like claw mark. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> and that's when we get the great other scene now. Where Bell again on roller skates, only like Russell could do, going for them for the kill. And Alex and Charlie grab the church cloak, which is something a priest would wear that's very holy and ordained, and they wrap her him in it. And it's just, it just burns, and you see Bell burn, fall apart, you know? I think it got a little warm. Yeah. Just saying. This is where that as Belle dies, though, this is where Regina's really like you hear her screaming. Then she turns into a bat and attempts to escape into her coffin. Mm-hmm. But But be- before she does knock Alex unconscious and attempts to turn Charlie now into a vampire, she tells Shelly that coffin that was destroyed because when she did get in the coffin what did they do they lined it with coffin wafers communion wafers which communion wafers correct could if you line them in a coffin of a vampire they're all blessed you would burn and it would blow up i know nothing about this this must be a catholic thing yes and it's okay, a church. so regine at this point is trying to turn him and explains to him that her coffin, Charlie, was many hundreds of years old, but she has many, and we'll get to them. 
and says, I guess your friend Peter has given up as Peter is climbing up. You see him climbing up at this point. I, he's a coward. She's basically saying, given up on them. And he's running upwards as she's about to take Charlie. But he's not a coward. What Peter's actually doing is he realizes the window, he's destroying the windows to a point where the light's coming all the way in and hitting her. And Charlie grabs her arm as he's becoming a vampire, not even caring about himself, and grabs her. And she's starting to scream in pain. And the sunlight starts really right away melting her, lighting her on fire. Absolutely amazing effects here. And that's when she then becomes a, whatever you want to call a, a bat or creature or whatever, flying back. A thing. Yeah, flying back into the, the coffin, not realizing again, remembering, I guess, that the coffin wafers are there. And that's when the coffin explodes. Explosion everywhere. Great. Yeah. As you see Peter Benson up there, the hero of the day. Once again, uh huh. Then we now see Charlie looking full red blooded American human with Alex. Oh, of course, with Alex. <laughs> I don't know. I found her annoying. <laughs> uh, so this ends, and sometime later, Charlie and Alex are having a little picnic at the college and discussing the. No. That it's really like the pre it's actually the next day reality, I think. And they're talking about what happened, that no one's ever gonna believe them. And Alex joking that you know they would never believe them. And Charlie mm-hmm. making stupid jokes. I'm not gonna go into his little stupid shit. It's too eighties for me. And they ponder and, if Yeah. Basically he just says we we go on. Yeah, and they ponder if there are any more vampires out there, but agree to continue on with their lives while being prepared, just in case. And they embrace each other under the blanket, as you can hear a bat being heard flying away. Of course. And that's where we get again. Deborah Holland's amazing song, Come To Me. And that is the end of Fright Night Part 2. Yes. I I personally like the, the second one better. All right. I, say. I, I gotta say, like, I think Amanda really, really made it crappy. The first one, like, she she kind of brought it down for the ratings for me. Her character. Uh, kinda, I have but, no idea what Castle was thinking. Or I really don't. It was. I saw that. Now, for me, it was too much. Oh, it's Marcy. You know what uh, I mean? <laughs> I, I mean, I would have called. I would have cast like Leah Thompson or something. You know? Yes, Leah Thompson would have been perfect. Like Amanda. She would have been a sexy vampire in that short, short scene. All right. So before we get into our ratings and other cool things we're going to talk about, let's get into our sponsors. Because again, we switch things up every week. We want to do that. Yes, we do. So (laughs) I would like you to start off with our first sponsor tonight. Then I'll go. All righty. Our first sponsor is going to be Twisted Vixen. Um. The item for this week are her really cool, awesome Silent Hill Pyramid Head earrings. And they are going right now for the price of just $45. And what's great about Vixen's products is that she handcrafts each and every 
piece. So each item, each earring is a genuine piece of art. You can find Twisted Vixen at One Twisted Vixen on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or you can shop her site, which is shoptwistedvixen.com. And do not forget to use our discount code, capitals THS, under lowercase, sorry, uh, chop shop for 15% off of your order. That's in the United States. I don't think we she's offering uh, anything for worldwide right now. So. Uh, she's very indie, so she's not there yet, but she will be. Oh, I'm sure she will. She's doing amazing things. So Awesome. So our next sponsor for the night is a brand that's been with us from like day one, and they're called Pray For Us Clothing. Like really run by a great guy named Nick Bravo, and he is a great photographer as well, working with some of the biggest bands in the world. And their message is, the end is near. And with this brand now, they offer worldwide shipping. And with, now the summer here, wherever you live, you can feel this heat and whatnot. And two items I want to mention tonight is, first, they're true badass sales starting. With, like, they have a true badass like, sales going on right now with a lot of items on the website. So just check them out in general. But one of the items I really want to mention is if you're reading this tea and it's fucking great and very cool for tours or like rock shows. And it's only at this point, 25 bucks. And nice. yeah. And also there's another one I'm going to say now is the blood of tank top that I love personally. That's again, only $25 and that's a great deal. So now with us, you get an extra good deal when you use our discount code which is all lowercase, the horror supernatural shop shop. And you'll get an awesome percentage of your entire order worldwide. So again, worldwide, these guys will get your ship there within the week worldwide. That's really important to know. I'm going to say that they've been probably the best supporters that we've had. Yeah. He's been a great guy to us, and then I'm going to let you lead this off with the last sponsor of the night for now. All righty. Um, for our final, but not our least uh, sponsor, we have Olivia Noir, and they are a Phoenix brand uh, that is committed to crafting inclusive goth fashions for all whose mission is in, to empower individuals to live and dress unapologetically through size inclusive fashion that promotes confidence and artistic expression. Uh, they believe that the goth fashion movement is a beautiful manifestation of, of course, individuality. And they're dedicated to fostering an inclusive community that celebrates diversity. Their collection features a range of comfortable and stylish goth dresses, skirts, tops, and bottoms designed for, of course, the unapologetic person. Uh, what sets them apart is their intentional inclusivity that permeates every aspect of our design, their design process, ensuring that their garments are flattering and comfortable on a variety of body types and sizes. Uh, this week's items again are the nightmare string bikini from sizes 2x uh 2xs all the way to 6xl that's crazy like they really do reach out to anybody of any body type 
and I, I personally don't know anybody that's that's bigger than a 6XL. That's quite a, that's quite the size difference. So they literally have they have a bikini for you all, ladies. So don't be shy. Um, you got to grab them while they're hot right now. I mean, like sweet price, forty five bucks, not bad at all. And for you guys, um, the Nightmare Men's Swim Trunks with the iconic Freddie Stripes. And who's that in the corner? It's Jason Voorhees with his bloody machete. You guys really pick these up. $45, maybe $50. Uh, yeah, $50 for the trunks. And enjoy the summer with some killer swimwear. And dudes, like out there, like honestly, me, I hate beaches and shit, but I'd actually buy these honestly and I'd wear them to they a beach. They look cozy. They that I, I've talked to Johnny from that brand and he's described to me what the, the how they're made. They're made very well. They are very good for you know the man part and doesn't does not make you feel like you're like one of those douchey guys on the beach you know so it's very comfortable in the crotch area and it has trying to say but politically correctly saying <laughs> yeah and it actually represents you as who you are as like an individual yes. and horror you know I, I love this like you don't see a whole lot of guys wearing horror type swim trunks you know i think this is a very cool idea um also if you want a discount please use our code and it's all capitals the horror supernatural shop shop and we'll get you a good discount on that uh if you want to check out what else they have go to www.olivianoir.com backslash the horror supernatural chop shop and don't forget you can follow them on their insta instagram at olivia noir clothing and they post a lot of great stuff, so please follow them. Follow all of our great sponsors. All, all yes. our sponsors are really great. And we'll, we're working hard to get some more sponsors that you're going to love and enjoy. I mean, Twisted Vixen's constantly, you know, putting out new items and everything like that. So, yeah, all of our all of our sponsors are really putting some stuff out there this season. I, yeah, you got, like, Paper Press Clothing, who, like, has their shirts on models who are on tours or vans. And then you have Twisted Vixen, who has drops every Friday where I don't know how somebody who's working by herself by themselves are creating something every week to drop a new item to sell to multiple people every Friday. That's brilliant to me, you know? That's and sometimes she makes, she makes drops during the week as well, which is absolutely insane. Like this woman is a hard worker. Yeah. It's like, that's really, I praise a lot of these designers that do that's that. That's dedication. Um, absolutely. That is, that's like, you know, that's a real designer. Yes, absolutely. All right. So now on to our scores. This film, I'm going to start. And I have to be, again, I'm, this is one of my favorite films, nostalgic. Like, and even with all its flaws and whatnot, I'm never going to shit on Fright Night Part 2. I love the characters of Charlie and Peter Vincent. I love Regine's character, how they wrote her, how they casted her. Yes, how Julie Carmen was my first big crush growing up. And I still have to admire how they tried their best with such a smaller budget, knowing they were not going to be in a movie theater at that point making the movie. And the director and the team did all their best to do everything so well. And at the end of the day, I'm always going to give Fright Night 
part two a complete nine because it was so pure to what we so what we got in the original Fright Night. But this carried over to a point where, in my personal opinion, I have to say to any vampire fan out there, Regine, the character Regine, the actress Julie Carmel played Regine, is the all-time favorite in the vampire world that played, and it hasn't been anybody a topper yet in my mind as well, that's played a better sexual, um, more mind-blowing, more real, authentic, iconic vampire that could seduce, that could play the role of Regine or a vampire that's lived that long or the vampire princess queen of films. And I always will say Fright Night Part 2 is dominated by Julie Carmen's role as Regine. Wow. I, I respect that. I respect that. Um, for me, I love the movie, but it's not its not always going to be, you know, a perfect score for me, guys. Sorry. Uh, on a scale of one to five, you know, five being just the absolute best, I give it a four because obviously... William Ragsdale. <sighs> Come on. Come on. But also Julie Carmen, like, yes. Just she she embodies everything you want a female lead vampiric role to be. She she's very sexual, very sensual, while also being very tasteful, very classy, not being at all smutty. I absolutely adore that. Um yeah, I, I can't really say a whole lot of bad stuff about it other than I got really irritated with uh, Alex. Alex irritated the crap out of me. <laughs> she really did. I eh, kind of wanted to smack her with some of them books. <laughs> I respect that. And I, I, I just want to add on to that. I want to give a um, you know memorial to like Russell Clark, rest in peace. Um, Roddy McDowell, rest in peace. You know, there are such great talents. Um, Brian Thompson uh, has passed away as well. Rest in peace. Yeah. And um, besides that, if you don't appreciate Russell Clark's, you bring on somebody who's been one of the most influential people on the top music videos in the 80s and whatnot, doing this movie as an actor and also doing it as a choreographer. It's like, wow, how they got him is insane to me. Uh, that was a different thing for anybody, any movie ever. Uh, and yeah, it's just there's so many great people involved. John cries that like literally uh, this guy could have been put into a corner. Like he played a werewolf a year earlier and he comes back and plays a werewolf, but he's like, fuck it. I'll do it. You know, there's just so much history in this movie history. Absolutely. A lot of, I think you said it the best, you know, a lot of history in this film. And I think that's what, what gives it that, the right to be in the cult, the cult classic genre. It's just, it's a timeless piece. Yeah. And a uh, little side note, like on this movie, the original Fright Night movie director, Tom Holland was originally approached by the producers to return, but Holland declined in favor of directing Child's Play. Yes. Um, but you know what? Tommy Lee Wallace did an amazing job here. Tommy Lee Wallace really cared about it. Like he cared about it. There's a lot of heart in this in this film. He 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 really pushed to want to do this movie because he loved the original and he was friends with Tom Holland actually. 
And he's like, yeah, he worked for him before. And he's like, yeah, I want, I want to do this movie. And he respected, and he really, when he read the character of Regine, he like made sure he cast the right Regine and the right this person. And, this, and his, he's the one that came up with the idea of having Russell Clark, because he had done music videos, I believe. And he knew Russell from music videos. And he wanted to bring him in to play the Bell characters. Who's going to do this, like, skating scene, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, that was, like, what actor is going to be able to pull that off? I think it was perfect. This movie couldn't have been better directed or written. I, I personally feel that Fright Night Part 2 gave more depth and more, I guess, meat and potatoes to the original movie. Honestly, it just, it completes it. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Fright Night. It's one of my favorite movies. But Fright Night 2 holds a better, it has a different part in my heart. Because Fright Night 2, as it didn't get the recognition Fright Night did, but it got a director and it got a team that gave it all, you know, and went into it and did all this. And over the years... Well, I mean, they even go into the history of certain characters and even some folklore. I mean, that, that's what I love about this. But, I, but I'm going to ask you this, Elle, as a, as a woman, have you ever watched before this movie a vampire film where they respected enough a female vampire character to be as dominant as she, Regina was, as sexual, as sensual, as important as she was? See, now that's a good question. This... When this movie was made, it was it was 1988. Women were not very respected. If we were portrayed in a sexual way, tits and ass were coming out, and a lot of the times you were seeing vag. It was always about seeing the female no-no parts. This movie, they gave they they gave Julie such a powerful role without having to without having to diminish her herself you know what i mean like without having to yeah like, like you look at you look at friday you look at the original friday like jerry he had his one guy and he was living in a suburban area like you know doing his thing not trying to be found out but in this movie her whole mission is revenge for her brother and she arrives not just one guy she arrives with an entourage of different types of people you know what i mean and she, and they're all male. And you can tell she's respected. She's respected, she's revered, and she's feared in this movie. And uh, I think that's what makes it so, so obvious that women should be looked at with more respect. We have strength. Just like we reviewed in this movie, like how she plays with Roddy, like Roddy McDowell's character, Peter Vincent. Like she doesn't want to hurt him as bad as Charlie, but. She takes everything away from Peter Vincent, you know. Yeah. She she fucks with his mind. She fucks with his head. She fucks with his heart. Everything. She takes away his whole life's mission. Like his whole life was he was the big Fright Night star. He's been in all these movies, and she steals that from right under him and gets him into a mental hospital. Like he's done. And then what does she want to do with Charlie? Make him his her bitch to torture him for the rest of his like immortal life. For eternity, for killing her brother. Yeah, that's like wow. Yeah. So over the years, yeah, I, we have to do this like versus now, like Queen of the Damned versus her or Jean. No, nothing Ak on it. No, Akasha versus versus 
Eugene, no. Thank you. No, it, it can't compare. They tried too much to make Akasha more of a demon entity. It's totally two different styles. And I personally feel that this, this style um, for Frightening, I think it's more well, vampire. Well, but per personally, as a vampire person growing up, reading all the books, reading all the lore and stuff like we did, right? You get mm -hmm. Regine, and you get the music score for Regine. It's Regine's music score, in my opinion. It's very sexy. It's very, it's very Essential. like, it's very like adapting. It's very like manipulative. It's very like you're being sucked in, as opposed to in the Queen of the Dam movie. It was like just constant new metal music behind the character, and did not work. I'm gonna have to disagree. I do like Queen of the Dam. But, I completely don't. I think it did not fit for that character at all. If you read the, when I read the book of her, no, that's not the character whatsoever. And the music did not fit the character. You need I, music. Actually, you need, <clears throat> I read the book. Okay, the, the book had it, the book was more about Maharet. Had really little to do with Akasha and Lestat. It was more about Maharet and her history. But a score, not the music, makes the background of a character to be believable. That yes. did not have a score. That had music. This movie had a score every time behind Julie Carmen's yes. character. Yes, it did. And that's, uh, that's what uh, makes it great. Other movies who have tried to like be better have played overbearing music behind the scene of the character you're trying to really want to get to know. Well, in this movie, you see Regine as a dominant, and she is, in the 80s, the term performance artist, yeah, that's what happened. That was like, you're the big shit. You're a performance artist, yes. You're not an actress, you're a performance artist. You're taking it more seriously, and you are appearing at colleges, you're appearing at places, and you're getting paid. And a performance artist in the 80s is like saying what a graphic designer was in the 2000s early, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree. Um, the best thing I can say about this is, well, not the, not the best thing I can say about this, but the one thing that I think people need to really give respect to is this this character, Regine, she, she's very based on sensuality and sex without being pornographic. In any way, yes, thank you. She's not. She's very much like... Charlie, you have a light. Like she's totally mind. Very games. powerful, powerful. Not, not rapey. Not slutty. She's powerful. She has power over others. Hey, God damn! I have to give a lot of credit to the hairstylist for her. This movie. This girl had so many different hairstyles in this movie. Yeah, I can't even imagine how they did her hair in some of the scenes because I'm just like, well, if I get my hair up in a ponytail, that's good enough. Like that one scene when she has the bangs just hanging down like that. And then you see another yeah. scene with her on top of the car when her boobs are like looking like goddamn and her hair is like long. That blue dress. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how that the top of that blue dress didn't come down. I'm saying. Like, I was like, well, okay. Like, uh, she was practically it. spilling out, but it was still tastefully done. You didn't see too much. You didn't see too little. But how great was it when she was in top of that car and you see her, like, 
this clawing away without making real nails on top of the car, and she's smiling, knowing that she's manipulating Charlie's mind when she when Charlie's kissing Alex. Absolutely loved that scene, minus the the moaning. The, the, the whole moaning, they overdid it with that. I'm just like, all right, come on, you guys. This is faking it. <laughs> Classic 80s faking. Oh, 80s had a lot of that. All right, so that's our Fright Night 2. Part, uh, part night part two talk um do you have questions for me tonight or do i have questions i have questions okay before you do your questions can i go into my hard news segment let's do it because i always like to surprise you all right Alrighty. so it's time for horror talk time let's walk and talk okay so if you do not know this l and listeners it is now known an upcoming film that's starring the amazing actress that I've talked about, Lizzie Kaplan, from Castle Rock, the show, and recently Fatal Attraction, and one of my favorite fucking TV actors of all time from one of my favorite shows, Banshee, and The Boys, Anthony Starr, are actually starring in an upcoming movie called Cobweb about parents who are seemingly can't be trusted. And the trailer... If you go online right now and look it up, it's creepy as fuck. And it's coming out this summer, so check it out. Nice. I, I like Kaplan. Kaplan's amazing. <laughs> she is. Question times from L. Question oh, times from L. Oh, God. This is going to be a brain dinger. All right. Question one. Every film. Every film has that one thing about it that just doesn't suit the movie. Where do you think this applies to Fright Night Part 2? Doesn't fit the movie? Hmm. Yes, there's always that one part that just doesn't quite fit. <laughs> He's thinking, guys. He's thinking. I <laughs> Honestly, in my opinion, like what didn't really work in Friday Part Two was like this is like this is gonna be very like how much I know Friday Part Two, but how Alex and Charlie's fucking three-year psychiatrist dude knew each other that well, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? I was wondering if you had caught on to that. I was like, what? what? Like. How? Like, how does she know him? How how is she so? It is like everybody oh, is everybody in this movie live on this campus. It's just, how unethical is it that she had that close of a relationship with her boyfriend's therapist? Yeah, that was like it, it just didn't fit no. exactly. I'm glad you noticed that. Okay, number two. I how thought. Do you, how do you feel? Williams' uh, character Charlie has evolved. From the first to the second. Oh, he just became a hornier dude. I feel he became more of a little wimp. Okay. Uh, I gotta say, he became a hornier dude. <laughs> really? You think? Well, yeah, yeah. When it came well, you to know, that, we both agree. We, he, he never had lots of work with in the original. So. But yet, he was still trying to get with her. Yeah. I mean, that's like trying to cuddle up to a 
butterball turkey or something. Anyways. Yeah, please. Uh, Okay, rom-com or horror? Which do you think Ragsdale really shines in? Rom-com. I have to agree, but you know what? Uh, I also have to say that this these two movies are kind of rom-com horror. For him, yes. Exactly. So, um, all right, four. What is your absolute favorite scene in this movie? Favorite scene in this movie is going to always have to be the scene when they go there and they think Regine's a vampire and they have that dance in that scene. Yeah? I love that scene. That's your absolute favorite? I love it. All right, mine's Bosworth getting slashed and bugs and worms. Just No, I, see, I think that scene defines the Regine character over and trying to get over Charlie and trying to take him over. I loved it. I have to go with the glorious part of the movie. I, It's just, yeah. I The whole romance thing kind of, eh. That wasn't romantic. That was like, her it's actually quite him. romantic. It, it, it's her dominating him. Yeah. But she's dominating him through romance. Man, that's something like they should, like the, the director of like 50 Shades movies should have saw that movie and said, like, I should have done that better. You know? Dude, if 50 Shades were in a trailer park, the cops would have been called. Okay. <laughs> More <laughs> questions? Right. Oh, yeah. What was it uh, you think? Besides her stunning appearance, made Regine so enticing to us, the audience. Not to Charlie, but to us. Her voice. See, I think it's her eyes, her natural eyes, not the contacts. Her voice. All right, I like that. That was very quick. Her voice dominated almost every scene. This is true. And it wasn't it wasn't uh, doctored up like in Queen of the Damned, where (coughs) it was never her whole voice, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, during Regine's Fright Night opening dance, do you think it was more cringe or more enchanting? The choreography. Cringe. I have to agree. Uh, seven. Honestly, how do you hope this film should have ended? Or, yeah, how how did you feel that you wanted it to end? I would have left out the bat sound at the end. Too cheesy. Especially since they didn't go into a third. Yeah. Well, uh, originally, they were supposed to go into a third, but never got made. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, comparing Amy to Alex. <laughs> Alex. Um, <laughs> what are some of the noticeable differences and similarities of the girls? Uh, believability. Like, uh, I would believe a horny dude in high school would be into Alex. A horny guy in college would be into Alex. A horny guy in high school or college would not be into um, Amy. Sorry. Okay, but where the... I see so many similarities in the fact that these girls no. are very no, off no. and on with, with Charlie. But Amy in the first Charlie! No! And wearing a, a denim jacket like, uh, like, like Marty McFly, I have to say, and has <laughs> no sexuality at all. Well, Alex is just like, I know what I got, baby. Like, you gotta, you know, Charlie. I do like the fact that Alex smarter. is more of a steadfast woman. She's like, no. She's basically she's telling Charlie, Charlie, like, fucking get, get with it, buddy. Like, go to class, get smarter. I'll fucking bang your brains out if you can. Even when she comes there after, like, he, after he has that nightmare with, like, Virgin, and she, she comes in her nightgown or whatever, it's like, all right better already you know all right all right 
obviously both of these films are golden, but which do you prefer and why? The Ooh, first or the second? I, I love Fright Night. And it can't be, the, the reason cannot be because of Julie. I love Fright Night. It's literally one of my favorite vampire movies. It's going to be first all the time. But Fright Night mm -hmm. 2 holds a better spot in my heart because, and I'm sorry, it is because of Julie, and it's because of the character of Regine as the first ever I ever saw growing up as a very powerful woman, as a vampire that I could respond to, and I really appreciated. The first movie was so great. In a way, you never saw a vampire movie where your next door neighbor was a vampire. That was great. So, to me, Fright Night is always going to be on top. Fright Night 2 is always going to be my heart a little more. All right. Uh, okay, there's always that one thing about any movie we'd have done differently. What would you have changed here? Uh, any changes, no matter the significance, could be small, big, from casting, scoring, makeup, to directing and writing. Uh, what do you personally think you'd have changed about this? The actor who played the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist, yes. I, I had a feeling you would have gone there because, yeah, he just wasn't right for, the, for that part. I, I literally would have put, like, any 80s dad from a TV show as that guy, you know? Bob Saget would have been better. See, I, I kind of wanted, like, a Christopher Lloyd type. Anybody would have been better. Yeah, just, I'm, you know, it's nothing against the body type, but it just doesn't fit. It was about budget. It was totally about yes, budget. absolutely about budget, which it, it, it's very, very obvious in this. Um, all right. Favorite line and by who? Oh, my God. Favorite line? Yes. When Regine says, welcome to Fright Night. I have that right here in my notes, but my all-time favorite is, that was not group hypnosis. Uh, it's just it, the way he said it. It was just so hilarious. He said it so bitchy. Like, so like, eh. No. But no, it's good. It's a good line. He said it really well. I agree. Yeah, it's it's a toss up between that one and Welcome to Fright Night. The second time she says it, it's just ugh. it's so when she says it, she believes it. It sent honestly, it's still to this day the way her voice sounds when she says it kind of sent ch because in, in the original Fright Night, like um, he the Chris Sarandon says the same line at, at that same point in the movie, Welcome to Fright Night. Like he's making a joke of it, but as she's saying it. She's like she's dead serious, very sexy saying it, and very dead serious saying it with the cape and welcome to pregnant, you know? Absolutely, yes. And I think I think we needed that in the, in this installment. They took definitely. it a lot differently. Oh yeah, definitely. You could feel it when she said it. Yeah. Okay. How would you convince someone that this is a great movie? Tell us, or you know. Sell our listeners who haven't seen it. Sell them on it, Zach. All right, guys. So if you've never seen Fright Night Part 2, Fright Night Part 2 was an underappreciated movie. It became a cult classic. And it's because they had stars such as Rodney McDowell and a great actress named Julie Carmen, who plays the first ever queen of vampire roles as Regine. And the movie is a sequel to the original Fright Night that became an instant classic. And with this movie, the original cast returns. But this is now three years later, and you get the original actor and star of that movie and the person that he 
found to be his idol and helped him and saved his life, Peter Vincent, and they're in a different place, different world. They're reconnecting, and in this movie, you get to see revenge from what they did in the original by somebody that comes for them in such ways that you've never seen. And I mean, in this way, her revenge of this villain is going to be, as you consider her a villain in this, is going to be one is going to have immortal pain, and the others is going to have pain on pain in their own real world life as a human being. So you should watch this for so many reasons. Hard work, hard writing, small budget, did what they could, great makeup effects, great, 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 great prosthetics. And at this time in movies, there was a lot of vampire films, but they didn't have a lot of good contact in the eyes. And they really had the first company working with contacts that gave them a good head away with like contacts as being a vampire or turning into one. So you'll get to see the history of how that's increased over the years and see a piece of nostalgia from the 80s that shows you that Julie Carmen was the original vampire queen. And I hope that you enjoyed this PSA from Zach, Mr. Rainrunner. <laughs> I love it. All right. What was your impression of Craig Gillespie and Marty Noxon's adaptation of Fright Night from 2011? I, and... I, I need to ask me that. I wanted to go into yeah. hating it with a passion, but he casted it so good, and it was kind of a whole different revision of it. And I do truly love the cast they had. Uh, Colin Farrell was cool, great as Jerry. Uh, Tony Collette was awesome. Everybody was great in it. Who doesn't love Tony Collette? She's a total mom. I did see it in the theater, and I loved. Yeah, you know, I went again. Hate wants to hate it because they remade one of my favorite movies, but it was a revision, and yeah, I hundred percent liked it. I feel like we'll review it one day. I liked it. All right, and your impression on Fright Night Two: New Blood, which was directed uh, go by fuck, Eduardo Rodriguez. Go, go fuck yourself for anybody who likes that movie. Thank you. It was a complete piece of dog crap. It was like fucking stupid as shit. It's the bitch that was on Dexter who is like, you know, naked in blood half the season trying to manipulate him. She sucks. Uh, uh, the actor sucked. The story sucks. It's not Fright Night. You should just call this something else. Goodbye. Loved your answer for that. Oh my God. Because yeah, you just, you said my exact feelings on it. It was just, <laughs> yeah. that was a total turd. And here we go. Bonus question. Yeah, go, go, go. Well, it's not really a question, but name another movie you'd pair with the Fright Night films, just the two from the 80s, for a triple movie, Threat Night. For a triple movie? Oh, my God. Um, yes. From the 80s, there's not many vampire-wise that I would really... No, no, no. The movie doesn't have to be from the 80s, but just, you know taking the two the two movies from the 80s and then pairing it up with you know a little extra third movie in there like okay you, you say you're on a date right and yeah. you have fright night fright night 2 from the 80s those ones but you want another movie 
what are you going to put into into that mix? The Lost Boys, baby. There you go. I love that answer. Yes. Even though, yeah. it's, even though it's a little bit corny, but like, who doesn't... Who doesn't love that movie? What's it's so that, iconic. What are you talking about? If I had a movie, if I had a theater, no, no, no. I... The, the answer alone is so corny because everybody always goes to Lost Boys. Well, the Lost Boys is always the answer, I think. It is. I, I hate to say it, like I'm, I'm always the first one to say, you know, oh, let's let's give these uh, low budget B movies a chance. But dude, that movie was the '80s. Uh, by the way, since you mentioned we were talking about Lost Boys today at, at the event I uh, did this weekend, right? Uh, I said, um, uh, my good friend for many years, Giselle, who was a DJ at all these events, she was telling me about how she went to like one of these like, horror cons uh, a few months back, and she met Billy Worth from the Lost Boys. And she was there, she stayed the whole weekend, and she met him first, and during the whole weekend, Billy Worth would like, say, hey, what's up? And talk to her. And, like, you don't remember her name and everything. I was like, Dude, I swear to God, you should just like fucking got his number. Imagine how many women in the world be pissed off at you when you like say on your dating profile or on Facebook that you have Billy Worf from the Lost Boys, and she showed me a picture, and Billy Worf still looks the same. He's like good looking dude. He is, and he's he don't look his age. I know it's fucking insane. Like this man's old enough to be my dad. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he don't look it. No. He looks like he'd be our age. Yeah. And I'm not going to say how old we are, but yeah. <laughs> but um, one quick thing I want I want to kind of draw attention to is a lot of people don't really associate. Um, oh, what is it? Not not feminism, but female empowerment. And this this movie was one of those movies that really gave women some empowerment Uh in the Hollywood industry, in the horror industry, it, one of the first roles where the woman is a bad guy without having to show tits and ass and shit like that. And I, I personally feel that this is something that a lot of us women should be very proud of and be very appreciative towards Julie for actually playing this role so well. And for Tommy to have written this role with so much respect for women out there. Yeah, because Tommy was like a big. Like, he had him and his wife. Like his wife, like he in the, in the documentary, he really talks about his wife, and he's very awesome about how he wanted that to be very important. And it's women, and not only that, how he even went to Brad Fiel, who did the the score, the great rememberable score from the original movie, and he says, "I want it now with a female vocalist," and he knew of Deborah Holland from his wife or a friend, and. He had Brad's score music sent to Deborah, and that's he wanted. Not only do you have a female star in this movie, but you had a female covering a, a song. It's not just a score now; it's a song. So you had a very important song. Not only that song matched up with her; it matched up with the whole entire movie. It matched up with the message that this movie put out there as well. Yeah, because the whole thing, the lyrics come to me. That's like, that's what she's saying to Charlie, you know? Yes. Ex very well said. Yeah. I just, you know, not a lot of people really, you know, we all watch these movies and we love them for, you know, their gore. We, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, I love the sex scenes in some of these movies and, you know, it's the violence and the craziness and just the, 
outlandish scenarios and shit like that and the imagination and creativity i think i said but also you got to really tear these apart kind of do a little psychoanalysis of these movies and really find you know the meanings or the messages that these movies really put out there and i think that's something that you teach in uh cinema therapy that you know yeah, it, I was gonna it say, helps our, you. our our younger generations same to really that. appreciate this it's, yeah. it's actually gonna be included in one of my um uh, talks about cinema therapy yes see yeah it's it's more than just blood gut sex violence it's th there's a lot of stuff that goes into these films that you gotta give respect to and, these, these and, and i mean there's a lot of people out there the first vampire movie they ever saw was underworld i'm like um no look i like underworld you know i know but there's and all that leather and everything like that. yeah but there's more than vamp it's more vampires. action it's more yeah. just an action almost a matrixy movie come on yeah it's just it's okay it's that's why my heart is in the 80s the 70s the 60s like there was more message to it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just glad now, in this day and age, we're getting these kinds of films that are trying to produce and trying to go, we're going to get some shitty ones, but like the good ones that we've been reviewing in the last few weeks and months, and we're going to, you know, uh, keep doing that going forward too. At least they're trying to give us a new character, a new message, a new story, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. So, all right, before, I, I love that we talked about Fright Night Part 2 and very much good detail and everything that nostalgic about it and everything that people should know about it. And I hope you all understand. If you've never seen it, please watch it. And you can honestly find it very easy on a lot of apps. So go and watch it if you haven't. And to it's on for you guys, and it's totally free. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> We're giving you the heads up. So to end up the show, we're going to tell you how you can follow us. And I'm going to start with saying you can always follow me at Zach, Mr. Eyeliner, or Mr. Mr. Eyeliner on Instagram. And Mr. Eyeliner is my anti-bullying brand designed, 12 eyeliners designed for all individuality. I do a lot of events, speaking engagements. It's all about anti-bullying. And also you can follow us at Instagram at the Horace Metro Chop Shop that we're going to. We're working on changing because the new title of the Instagram is going to be Just the Chop Shop. Our brand is going to be called Just the Chop Shop. So don't be freaked out when you don't find the horror supernatural chop shop, but you see the chop shop. That's us still. Okay, so that's going to happen very soon. And if you ever want to email me, it's Zach THS Chop Shop at gmail.com. And that could be for any appearances, talks, or if you want to like work on the show or send us your movies to watch if you're a director independent director especially and we can talk to you on the show interview you on the show send us a message on the, the instagram as well and i just want to announce right now that's officially in paper it's going to happen i will be speaking about my cinema therapy and the horror supernatural chop shop and what we do on the show and how we want the show to be supportive to Horror Movie Lovers Against Bullying, and I'll be doing this at 1 p.m. at EternalCon, July 8th, at the David S. Max Sports and Exhibition Complex in Hempstead, New York. And stop by. If you're in New York, you're going, you're going to probably be there if you're in that Queens, Long Island area, because they have a lot of cool 
guests from TV shows, wrestlers, and everything else being there. Some of the best horror pops being sold. Like uh, a lot of great stuff. So yeah, I officially will be speaking on a panel there if you would like to attend or even come up on stage with me and tell your story about bullying, you can. And I'm grateful to everybody at that Eternal Con for booking me and I hope to do more cons and I hope that L will be available in the near future to do cons with me. And that's my information. Um, I absolutely would love to be able to do some of these con con cons with you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Are you gonna say the C U N word? I almost did. Shush. Uh, um, you guys can um you can email me very easily. It's sparky sparks tcs at gmail.com. You know, if if you wanna try to get a hold of me, I'm a little bit easier to get a hold of than Zach is being so he's a lot more busy than I am these days. Um, or you can follow me on my Instagram, which is 85 Dark Sparkles. Uh, check out my my profile, there's a link under. You can find Mr. Eyeliner, you can find my art, you can find all of our sponsors, amazing websites on our on that one single link and so, so much more. So, you know, basically I've put an index together for you guys to have everything that we do at the tips of your fingers. How damn professional of you. Also, Zach, I am working on some uh, designs for our merch, which you can find the link in our in our little index there. Uh, we've got amazing things. Like I personally love the duffel bag, the hoodies. You know, we even have drinkage. You know, not drinkage, but drinkware. Like, how cool is that? You can take us literally everywhere. Oh, the coasters are awesome. Aren't they though? Yeah. I, I can't wait to, you know, if you guys, if you guys purchase our merchandise, definitely send me and Zach, you know, photos and we'll, we'll feature you and definitely give you a shout out and a huge thanks for supporting what we do here, because this is what we're passionate about. Awesome, Alan. I just want to end the show by saying, like, again, this is Pride Month. Please, everybody, be kind to everybody. We're all individuals. Do not have hatred in your heart if someone's different than you. In the horror community, we all love horror, so we all should be similar and liking what we like. That's why we have the hashtag horror movie lovers against bullying, and that's all bullying. And I've seen, even this month in the big cities, there's been too much hatred towards what's going on for this, this month, and it's disgusting to me, and I think like we really need to really get these kinds of people out of our world where they're so full of hate. Yeah, it, it's a sad, sad thing. There's so much negativity out there anymore. But us, we're going to always come back and give you a show. Like, we've been doing all recent movies. This is a big thing I've always wanted to do. I have the perfect partner here with Elle, so I yeah. really wanted to wait and do Friday Night Part 2, and now we did it. Uh, it's one of my bucket list things. Awesome. Uh, next week, I know what we're doing. I'm gonna be the uh, I'm gonna be the one on the other end. That's gonna be very much a different Zach reviewing that movie. Oh boy! Oh, it's gonna be a fun ride. I'm gonna have to like really get ready for that one. <laughs> I'm gonna have to like woohoo! I'm gonna have like, two. I'm gonna have, have two cups next to me for that one. <laughs> 
two cups. Yeah, like, woo, more vodka. Once you it's like, I gotta keep going. <laughs> Uh, I'm not, I'm gonna help. Let me just talk. Let me keep going. Like I, I, I gotta, like, I gotta go. This he, he, he's gonna purge himself on, on the next show. I have a feeling. Yeah, it's gonna be good. But and uh, yeah. of course, you know, as always, I will have my little questions for the end segment too. And I'll have my horror news as always, and I want to thank you guys and thank you for listening to episode 26. And I hope. Everybody who is a father figure, and that could be anybody from a mom, an aunt, an uncle, a nephew, a brother. Uh, for me, my mom is my mom and my dad. Uh, well, she's got a kick-ass, like, dad figure. Like, uh, you know, like, anybody who out there, she's got a cool brother as well. My sister's got a good brother. That's me. And, Absolutely. And other people in the world. Don't think Mother's Day, Father's Day. You just don't consider a man on Father's Day a father figure. Don't consider just a woman on a Mother's Day a mother figure, you know? Well said. Absolutely. A parent is a parent. And if they're, you know what? It doesn't even have to be a parent. Like, aunts and uncles can be seen as really good parents as well to their nieces and nephews. I know you are. I try to be. But anyways, happy Father's Day. And to Daddy Sparks, love you much. And, uh... I hope you guys all keep it creepy. And please comment on our Instagram if you liked or hated our episode. And listen and share this episode, please. And keep coming back and listen to more of our banter, our questions, our crazy shit, and our crazy talks. And always saying, horror, keep it real, keep it alive, keep it in your hearts, and keep it going, guys. And Elle, thank you again, always, and have a great spooky night. You as well. Bye.